When I was growing up in Pakistan, there was a group of men known as coolies who lived in the Himalayan mountains where I went to boarding school. Coolies were men whose occupation was to carry the baggage and other heavy loads for people who could afford to pay them to do it. They became visible in recent years as the men who carried the gear up the lower slopes of Mount Everest to help the western climbers make it to the summit. I understand that the term is sometimes used in a derogatory manner in our Western societies, but I never thought of coolies with anything other than admiration as a young boy. These were incredibly powerful men who impressed me with their strength and endurance. It's no wonder that men like these have been hired by countless climbing expeditions in the Himalayan mountains. No man that I know of can match their strength in the high altitudes of the Himalayan mountains. I have seen a man strap a refrigerator on his back and carry it to an upstairs apartment. I have seen men carry 55-gallon drums filled with our belongings up the winding paths to our home. These are men who know how to carry heavy loads. They never move fast, but they always get where they are going. Their job is to carry the loads of others who need their help. I have this mental picture when I come to Galatians chapter 6 and verses 1 through 5. Paul is talking about the Christian's responsibility to carry burdens for others. Christian liberty does not mean that there are no obligations in the Christian life. In fact, we might say that Christian liberty obligates us to bear burdens. This, my friends, is how the local church moves and grows. This is the life of the fellowship. We do not need to move fast. We don't need to be flashy. We don't need the world's acclaim. We don't need lots of money or spectacular buildings. The church will grow as we learn to bear burdens together in the mutual strength of the Holy Spirit. Notice, first of all, that we are to bear the burdens of others. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. We are to bear the burdens of others. Now, Paul has just delivered a lengthy treatment of what it means to live by the Spirit in Galatians five sixteen to 26. He is continuing that theme in these verses. Notice that he starts by speaking to those who are spiritual in verse 1. Being spiritual or living in the spirit is not some mystical otherworldly experience. Being spiritual is bearing the burdens of others. Being spiritual is being coolies for Christ. What does it mean to bear the burdens of others? Bearing burdens means restoring sinners, Paul tells us in verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. We are to restore those who sin. 
A spirit-led, spirit-living, spirit-walking person must care about those who fall into sin. The real test of spiritual maturity is what we do when we confront sin in someone else. When we come upon someone who is trapped by his own sin, someone who is overpowered by her sin, how do we respond? Do we sweep it under the rug? Do we just ignore it and hope it goes away? Do we gossip about it? Do we expose the sin to other Christians and put the person down because of what they've done? Many times Christians gossip about other people under the pretense of sharing a prayer need. Watch out. Telling others about a sin does not help us restore the sinner, and it can cause real damage to the lives of other people. The spirit-led person should do none of the above. Our goal is restoration, not renunciation. Not every Christian can handle the sin of others in a Christ-like way. If you consider yourself to be spiritual, then there is only one way to deal with a sinner, and that is to confront in love. According to Matthew 18, the confrontation must first be private. We do not tell others about it until we have talked with the person privately. If you do not handle sin that way, you are not a spiritual person. Furthermore, only spiritual people are capable of dealing with sin in a biblical manner. Only as we are controlled by the Holy Spirit are we able to confront sin in a restorative way. Paul commands us to restore the person. It's an obligation, not a choice. The verb means to put in order or restore to its former condition. The word was used of mending nets or setting broken bones. The objective in confronting sin is to help that person get back on solid footing spiritually. And such restoration may be painful. If a person breaks a bone but does nothing about it until the bone has healed in a damaged position, there may be no choice but to break the bone all over again in order to restore it properly. In the same way, spiritual restoration after a long process of covering up may be extremely painful. The objective throughout the process is healing, bringing a person to wholeness once again. We must not short-circuit that process of healing. Paul goes on to tell us how we are to restore one another. We are to restore in gentleness, in gentleness. Now this is the same word used back in Galatians 5.23 as part of the fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual people are gentle. Christ exemplified gentleness in dealing with sin when he confronted the woman caught in adultery in John 8. He treated her with dignity. He tenderly forgave her when the Pharisees wanted to stone her. This is not easy to do. Like the Pharisees, some of us are more prone than others to be harsh and judgmental when facing sin. We can become very judgmental and very punitive 
We must learn to restore sinners gently, not harshly, kindly, not aggressively. So we are to restore in gentleness, and we are to restore with vigilance, with vigilance. Paul writes, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The realization of our own sinfulness tempers our harshness. Spiritual gentleness comes from our own culpability. There is not a sin committed on this earth that you or I are not capable of committing under the right circumstances. Not one. Until we enter the restoring process with vigilance, born of our own sinfulness, we will never be able to restore people. We must always be on guard, for just when we think we have arrived, we will fall too. And we are most prone to sin when we have just achieved some measure of victory in our spiritual lives. As A.T. Robertson put it, Satan loves a shining mark. On the night of December 6, 1942, Admiral Kimmel, commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet, attended a dinner party with the other commanders and their wives. The wife of Admiral Halsey insisted at the dinner party that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor. Everyone at the dinner party thought she was crazy. But 12 hours later, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. At a naval inquiry in 1944, Admiral Leary spoke about the complacency at the dinner party and throughout the military high command in the weeks preceding the terrible attack. Most naval officers expressed the same attitude. Admiral Leary said, We always felt it couldn't happen here. It couldn't happen here. But it did. Beware, my friends, when confronting sin in others. It could happen to you. It could happen to me. The day we assume that it won't happen to us is the day we are most vulnerable for it to happen to us. Stay vigilant in your own lives as you deal with sin in the lives of others. What does it mean to bear the burdens of others? It means to restore the sinner in verse 1. And in verses 2 and 3, bearing burdens means loving others, means loving others. Bear one another's burdens, Paul writes, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The verb translated bear means to carry or pick up the burdens of others. Such burden carrying fulfills the law of Christ. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another, John thirteen thirty four. That's my commandment, Jesus said, love one another. Well, the Galatians were busy forcing obligations like circumcision on each other, but what they needed to practice 
was the burden of love. As Bishop Lightfoot wrote in his commentary, if you must impose burdens on yourselves, let them be the burdens of mutual sympathy. If you must needs observe a law, let it be the law of Christ. During the recent COVID-19 pandemic, we read and heard lots of Christians talking about their rights, insisting on their rights. My friends, the only right we have as Christians is to give up our rights for one another. It is the way of Christ. Central to Christianity is the concept of mutuality. We do not understand this concept as well in our Western societies because we are built on independence. But the church is supposed to be characterized by interdependence, not independence. We are to carry each other's burdens. Mutuality is the essence of belonging to a local church. To be part of a local church means that we agree to hold ourselves mutually accountable to one another. Let's face it, we are not good at doing that. It's just too easy to migrate to another church whenever we think that our rights have been abused or when we don't get our way. Everything in our beings screams for independence, not submission. But no one can bear another's burdens unless, unless that person submits to the relationship as well. Living together in a local church requires mutual submission or it will never work. No one can fulfill Paul's command to bear another, another's burdens unless that person allows him to, to do so. Hiding behind our independence means depriving the body of bearing our burdens. We cannot dole out our burdens piecemeal and expect to find relief. We cannot be too proud to share our struggles with one another and think that, and then think that other Christians are to, be, are to be mind readers somehow and help us out. Pride. Pride is the reason that the body does not function effectively in mutual accountability to one another. We are either proud of our rights or too proud to share our needs. And either way, we fail to carry one another's burdens. Notice verse 3. Paul writes, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Pride. Pride keeps the believer from carrying another's burdens. But whose pride is in view here? The helpers or the helpies? The answer is everyone's pride. You will notice that Paul does not use the pronoun you in this verse, as he has throughout the first two verses. He is no longer speaking just about the pride of the one who should be carrying the burden of another person. He makes it indefinite. It's no longer you. It's true that we should not consider ourselves so superior to others that we will not help someone else in need. That's very true. But it is equally true that the pride of the believer who needs help is in view here. Pride on either end will short-circuit the process that Paul is talking about. The church is full 
of broken people who help other broken people. Dr. George Truitt, the great Southern Baptist preacher, told a story about a young pastor who was just starting out in a new pastorate when he found a member of his board was involved in serious sin. So the troubled pastor called a meeting of the board without this man present. As they sat before him, he asked the first board member, If you had been tempted like this man, would you have sinned? And the leader said, Oh, oh no, 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 pastor, I would not have sinned like that. The pastor continued around the room asking the same question and getting the same response each time. Finally, he came to one man who responded with tears in his eyes. If I had been in his place, I fear I would have fallen even lower than he did, the man replied. The pastor said, Brother, let you and I go immediately and talk to this man and so fulfill the scriptures. We need that attitude of humility as we confront sin in others. That, my friends, is what it means to bear the burdens of others. But Paul does not stop there. Not only are we to bear the burdens of others, but secondly, we are to bear our own burdens. Galatians 6, verses 4 and 5. We are to bear our own burdens. But each one, must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. One of the things that so impresses me about the scriptures is that they are so balanced. Paul has just commanded us to bear one another's burdens. Now he tells us to bear our own burdens. There is personal responsibility before God. At first glance, these two responsibilities seem somewhat contradictory because our English translations make no distinction between the two words for burdens used in verse 2 and in verse 5. They are two different Greek words which could be called synonyms of each other. They both mean burden or weight. However, when used together, like this passage, I think that Paul intends us to see a contrast between the two burdens in verse 2 and in verse 5. The word, first word for burden in verse 2 means a heavy burden or weight, while the second word for burden in verse 5 means a daily pack or daily burden. Jesus used the second word for burden when he said in Matthew 11.30, My burden, my daily pack is light. It's like the difference between the hiker, who must carry a large pack containing provisions for a long time on the trail, versus the hiker who carries a day pack. Paul is saying that a person is responsible to carry his own day pack. But the Lord is not unreasonable. God has made provision for the heavy burdens, the big packs, which we all find tough to carry. The Lord designed the church to pick up the slack 
when the weight of the big pack is too heavy to carry. Up to that point, we carry our own day packs. So how are we to carry our own day packs? Paul gives us two criteria. We must carry our own day packs without comparison. Verse 4. Paul writes that each one must examine his own work. We are to examine our own lives and focus on what we must do to carry the weight of our own responsibilities in the community of faith. We are not to compare our load with the load of someone else. The word for boast is not necessarily a negative negative term in the Greek as we think about boasting in English. The word simply means to exult or be pleased with something. It can become a negative term, but it is not necessarily negative. There are good and proper things to exult in, to boast about, but they are not done by comparing ourselves to other people. Exult in, boast in what God is doing in your own life, not in how you compare with other people. What happens when we compare ourselves to others? One thing that happens is that we start to feel good about ourselves by putting other people down. We should not seek to feel good about ourselves by comparison, that is, by finding someone worse than us. This is the mistake of much of the self-esteem movement, which teaches people to feel good about themselves by asserting themselves and their rights over other people. People feel good about themselves by standing up for their rights and opinions against the ideas of other people. But this is not the way of Christ. We should learn to feel good about ourselves because of God's approval in Christ. Our value comes from what he is doing in our lives, not how we compare to someone else. When we compare ourselves to others, we can end up saying, Who does he think he is? I've got just as many problems to deal with myself. Why should I spend my time carrying his burdens? He doesn't have it as tough as I do. It's the attitude that my burdens are bigger than your burdens, and I've got to help myself first. We might call it the Horatio Alger theology of self-help. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The opposite emotion can take place when we compare ourselves to others, call it worm theology. Worm theology. We can start to say, my problems are so big and so great. No one ever had it as bad as me. I deserve special treatment because I have it so tough. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going out and dig worms. Those are some of the results of burden comparing. All pack comparisons, you see, lead to a self-centered focus. So don't get into the burden comparison business. There is no victory in comparing the pack you are carrying with the pack I am carrying. We must bear our own burdens without comparison. In verse 4. And second, in verse 5, 
we must bear our own burdens without shirking. Paul writes, For each one will bear his own load. Now this is a statement of fact. It's not a command. It is a reality. God gives each of us responsibilities, and we must shoulder those responsibilities without shirking them. Paul says, carry your own weight in life, pull your own weight in life. We shirk our responsibilities when we complain about the load. We don't like the load that God assigned us to carry in life. We become whiners always complaining about how heavy the load is. If you knew how bad I have it, you would be more sympathetic to my needs. Every teacher or a parent understands how universal this reaction is among students or children. Students think every assignment is too much work. Children think that what they have to do is so much more than what the other child has to do. We think, my load is bigger than your load. I quit. It's not fair. I'm not carrying that burden anymore. I'm done. There is a legend that Jesus told his disciples to pick up stones and carry them with them as they traveled one day. Each disciple picked up a stone and carried it. Some picked up bigger stones than others, and the burdens were heavier than the other disciples. After several days, Jesus turned the stones into delicious bread. Now the disciples, that had picked up the heavier and bigger stones, were glad that they had, because they had more bread to eat than the other disciples. When Jesus told them to pick up stones the next time, Everyone picked up the biggest stones they could find. After several days now of carrying these big, heavy stones, Jesus told them to throw the stones away. No bread this time. The disciples were confused. They asked Jesus why he made them carry the stones if there was no purpose to carrying the stones. Jesus said to them, for whom do you carry the stones? For whom do you carry the stones? You see, my friends, we carry the stones for Jesus. What Jesus does with those stones is his will. The point is not that he will make the stones into bread. He will make us wealthy or bless us in material ways. That's not the point. The point is, he is pleased because we carried his stones. We did his will. Whataboutism is the scourge of the local church. You remember Peter in John 21. Jesus explains to Peter the plans he has for Peter's life going forward, after, of course, challenging him to feed my sheep. He calls Peter to follow him wherever Jesus leads him. Peter turns around and sees John. And he asks Jesus, what about John? Jesus tells Peter, what happens to John is my business, not your business. You follow me down the path that I have set for you. 
In other words, stay in your lane, Peter. Whataboutism is a shirking of your responsibility. And my friends, the same is true for us. Jesus gives each of us stones to carry for him in this life. We are responsible to carry those stones for Jesus. My stones are different than your stones. The point is not what stones we carry, but that we carry them for Jesus. We don't get to turn around and say to Jesus, What about John? What about Jim? What about Sally? Jesus says, Do your job. Carry your own weight. Paul lays it on the line, doesn't he? These verses are so practical and so down to earth. God tells us to carry our own weight in life. We must bear our burdens. We must do our jobs. At the same time, we know that sometimes the burdens for some people, sometimes for us, become too great to bear by themselves. They are bigger than one person can handle. So, God tells us that we not, not only must bear our own burdens, we must come alongside others and help them carry their loads. We must bear our burdens, and we must bear the burdens of others. And that, my friends, is the church in action. There are lots of fireplaces and wood-burning stoves in Washington State. People heat their homes with wood. But what happens if you can't chop wood or can't afford to pay others to chop your wood for you? Shane McDaniel and his twin sons Harrison and Henry chop up 80 truckloads of firewood and donate the wood to those in need. I want to help people who are burning cardboard because they've got nothing, Shane explained. Or someone 75 with no money who has a broken shoulder and can't cut wood. The project started as a way for the divorced father to spend time with his sons. They spent the summer of 2018 cutting and splitting firewood. The result was a pile of wood outside their house in Lake Stevens, 35 miles outside Seattle. They had accumulated 40 cords of wood, which was worth about $10,000. It was far more than they would ever use, so Shane posted a message on Facebook. If you are in the need of firewood and cannot afford it, please personal message me. If you know someone who burns wood and they are looking at a cold house this holiday season, please help us help them. Please help me and my boys make sure that no one goes cold in our area. And the response was immediate. And they've been doing it ever since. 29-year-old single mom Caitlin Tyser and her four-year-old daughter depend on a wood-burning stove as their only source of heat. It was a huge relief to get a truckload of wood delivered for free just before the holidays. To get that much wood brought me to tears, she said. So much stress and anxiety is off my shoulders. I couldn't be more thankful. But not everyone is so grateful. Surprisingly, some are angry that they have to ask for help. 
and they don't respond kindly to the delivery, even though they need the wood to keep them from freezing. That doesn't bother Shane. Giving is the reward, he says. It has nothing to do with how well it's received. It's about how much it's needed. Christ's call to us as Christians is to do no less, my friends. We are to carry our own loads and carry the loads of others when they need our help. Let's be coolies for Christ. Christ. 